how you feel? 25 sitting on 25 mil, huh? I'm in the building and I'm feeling myself. Rest in peace, Mac Dre. I'ma do it for the bay, okay? Getting paid. This is the Mac and Main Show. Wilson, quick throw. And it's going intercepted. Intercepted. On 98.1 WQAQ. Kyrie, a bomb. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Welcome back to school, everybody. This is Jack Main. Alongside me is Stephen McAvoy, and you are listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ, also streaming on WQAQ.com. I was super surprised today. When I walked outside of my dorm on my way to the studio, and it was still bright out. You know, I uh, so I have a night class at five o'clock to six fifteen, and it's so nice in the spring when you get to like experience when it get, when it's like pitch black out at like four o'clock, and then it slowly starts to get bright. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like the weather's starting to get nice. Eventually, we're gonna have new intro music, something like. Um, Mr. Blue Sky, something to, like get everyone hyped up. <laughs> did Did you like our new intro music for today? By the way, that was a brand new intro, first time. I actually you. did like it. It was very good. Uh, you literally put it together in like a half hour. I did. Uh, you rushed over here. You were breathing as heavy as you possibly, <laughs> possibly breathe. It was kind of funny. Uh, yeah. Well, we have an action-packed show for you guys today. Our topics include the NFL, a little bit of an MLB preview. Opening day for the majors is on Thursday. I know you and I have been waiting way too long for that. Uh, we are also, for the second half of the show, we're going to bring in my good friend Eric Kerr. He's going to break down March Madness for us, as well as everything that's happening with the NBA and the drama that is the LA Lakers. But first, we want to let you guys know that we are on Twitter and iTunes. Just go ahead and tweet your questions at Mac and Main. No ampersand, unfortunately, in that and, but Mac and Main, and then on iTunes at, uh, and then search on iTunes, the Mac and Main show under podcast. You can find all of our shows. So let's get right into it. We have got a, a very, 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 very jam-packed show, but let's get right into the NFL free agency. So <sighs> spring break has come and gone. Le'Veon Bell is a Jet. Odell is a Brown, and to- and, and 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 Antonio Brown is a Raider. Um, we have some report cards, some midterm grades. My midterms went swell, Jack. I hope I, I hope yours did too. I mean, I think I passed. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. Hey, you know what? You're getting through your freshman year. It's all right. No, I passed. I'm good. So let's jump right into. I'm on uh, list, mom. Let's jump right into the big stuff. So, report cards. So, in my opinion, the Jets they get an A minus. Le'Veon Bell is he? He's been the key. They've been looking at. at at him for a year. Everyone's wanted him. He's now in New York playing at MetLife. And I think what's nice about the deal is that he's getting underpaid, in my opinion. So, so obviously, Le'Veon Bell chose not to play last season with, with Pittsburgh, and it was over these contract disputes. So, sitting out a season, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's got fresh legs, he's going to come into New York, and he's going to run the cover off the ball, and he's going to take the Jets to a respectable record. He's going to be a huge, he's going to be a huge piece that was going to help Sam Darnold out down the road. But I see a lot of, the NFL is a very fast-moving organization, and I think that a year off not playing any kind of competitive football, there's going to be a little bit of rust that he's going to have to shake. Well, th- there has been training regiments that he's been going through. He's he said openly on Twitter and in interviews that he's ready to play. I think, yes, this season, that he's th- sitting on a season is always going to wear you down to some degree. I remember uh, Steven Drew uh, in MLB sat out. He came back for a year, and then he just fell off the planet. Yeah. Uh, but like it, It's guys like that that just he, he didn't train well enough. Le'Veon Bell, I don't know if he loves football, I think that's the one problem that he has. I think Le'Veon Bell just likes... You know what he loves? What? Money. Exactly. And if you like football, but you don't love football, you're not going to try hard enough, which is which is the reason why I personally don't like Le'Veon Bell. But for the Jets, signing him is perfect, because they're getting him at a, at a nice market price. And Colin Coward said, said it on the herd a couple of days ago, what, he, what the Jets are doing is modeling what the Rams and the Cowboys have done, matching up young quarterbacks with elite talent, running backs. So Dak Prescott, when he came in as a fourth-round pick out of Mississippi State, came to the Cowboys. Zeke was right there on his tail. Jared Goff came in, first overall pick from Cal. Todd Gurley tore the cover off the ball. So the Jets are going after that that Rams style. 
The draft is still coming. They got they get an A minus in my book. I think with a good draft, they can get it up to an A. But there's four things that I'm going to go through all these report cards, and it's always a big thing. There's four things that you need to win in the NFL. It's the owner, the GM, the coach, and the quarterback. I think you took that straight out of the page of Colin Coward's I might have. textbook. <laughs> I might have, but but it's one of the things that, that, that my grandpa taught me at a young age. It's always the owner, the GM, the coach, the quarterback, and every single piece falls in yeah. in, in the right time. The problem with the Jets is that the, that the ownership is weak, the GM is weak. I hate Adam Gase. In my opinion, for a team with a young quarterback like... Sam Darnold, they should have gone after, and Matt LaFleur, and I'm going to get into Matt LaFleur in uh, Green Bay. They have the quarterback, but that's only one of four pieces. So when you look at the New York Jets, you obviously have to look at the dysfunction of the rest of the AFC East. Outside of the New England Patriots, the Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills, and New York Jets have combined for three playoff appearances since 2010. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. The Miami Dolphins just signed Ryan Fitzpatrick for $20 million. Okay, so Fitzmagic. All right, yeah. So he, what, he's going to win him five games? I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. It's, it's, it's going to be an absolute wash. So when you look at the Jets, you have to think, okay, we're guaranteed two losses every single season to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And the Patriots probably have the f- have those four best pieces. They probably have the best owner. Mm-hmm. Their GM is their coach, and they have the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, their owner has his own problems, but that, that's a different. Okay, yeah, but that, yeah, that that's that's totally unrelated to anything related to football. Yeah, the Jets have gone through Rex Ryan, Tim Tebow. I mean, even the guy that fumbled the, the, with the butt fumble, Mark, Mark IT, his name couldn't even come to my head. I mean, Geno Smith was there for a little yeah. bit. Michael Vick was there for a little while. I mean, these are some high-profile names that came through New York and just could not make it work. So, Sam Darnold, I think he's the youth movement that the Jets need because they've had so many veteran quarterbacks that have failed. And maybe this is the team that this is a team that could win a wild card spot next year. I I think that there's. There's a, there's 100% of a football team is broken down. 50% of that is your is your offense. Your 50%. No, but I'm talking about like on the field. Okay. Like 11 yeah. guys on the field. 50% of your team is your offense, and mm-hmm. 50% of that 50 five zero percent of your offense is your quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Because your quarterback is distributing the ball. Then the rest of the pieces fall into place. A very good running back who can also take the quick hitters is probably the most important piece to a football team other than your quarterback. Yeah. And then you have if you can if you have a versatile tight end that can block and go out and get some catches and you have above average receivers, that's what it takes to win football games every single Sunday. It's the model that has been shown time and time again in New England, in Green Bay, in Denver. It's just that that that's the formula to winning football. Yeah. And the Jets finally have two pieces that can win them football games and possibly take them to a wild card berth. No, granted, the Jets still need a little bit of work. Chris Hendon isn't going to get the job done at tight end for very long. Uh, their wide receivers are Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunwa, and Jameson Crowder. And I was debating this with some of my friends. I don't think Quincy Anunwa is nearly as good as everyone in New York thinks he is. Because when you look at number two, at number two wide receivers in the NFL, he runs towards the bottom, of the bottom of the bracket by like Marquise Lee in, ja- in Jacksonville, and it's to no fault of his own. It's just the fact that that the Jets do not use utilize him as much as like the Rams will utilize Cooper Cup or Robert Woods. I think the Jets need a lot of work. I think they still need a wide receiver that that is at the elite level that they now have a dual threat of running the ball and passing the ball. Uh, they need a center. They need, they need one more piece on the uh, defensive line. Their front seven got a lot better with C.J. Mosley. They could have done even better with Anthony Barr, but it is what it is. Next up, we're going to go to the Green Bay Packers. I have given them an A-. minus minus. Ooh, I think that's a little generous. They're not at an A, but they can get there. So here's the big thing. So when you look at what the Packers did, they didn't add anybody who is going to tra- uh, be transcendent and change everything like Odell Beckham, but... They attacked the defense, which has been the, which has been the focal point the last three years, and has been why they haven't been able to win in the playoffs. They hired Matt Lafleur, who now we're going to get back into Lafleur. I don't think it was a good signing because you don't need to coach Aaron Rodgers any more than you already do. You need a defensive-minded coach. Mike McCarthy was an offensive-minded coach. There's a reason why he fired him. But they went after defensive players: Adrian Amos from the Bears, solid pick; uh, Zadaria Smith and Billy Turner. Three guys who will be able to change this defense and make it and make it more um, accessible. When you look in the past, 
Clay Matthews, he's starting to get older. You have other guys, uh, AJ Hawk is, is starting to get older as well. They had Jibril Peppers, he got old and, and retired. They haven't had those shutdown players in the past. They had BJ Raji at, at the tackle. Again, they're getting older. Now they're starting to get younger. Um, I feel like the A minus minus is mostly in part to Matt LaFleur. They have a good front office. They don't take anything from anybody. I think they'll end up tops of the uh, NFC, uh, NFC North, right neck and neck with the, with, with the Bears, but there's a little bit more work to do. So how did the Bears do? Because y- you, don't have to, you don't have to go into depth about them, but the Bears didn't really add or, or take away many pieces, but how are they going to fare? Because they were... They were a playoff team this past year, and they would have won a game if hadn't been for their kicker. So how do you think the Bears are going to fare in this upcoming season? Is Mitch Trubisky going to take a giant step forward? Is this defense going to play together again? Is the, Are the wide receivers going to play? Because they, they just actually added Cordero Patterson, mm-hmm. who's, who's one of the better kick returners in the league, and he, he's also a very versatile receiver-running back combo. So how do you see this team operating going forward. So the Bears need a good free agent, a good draft class in order to really maintain what they are. I think I think what they have works. Mitch Trubisky, I personally did not like him coming out of UNC, but he's kind of surprised me. Their backfield, I think if Jimmy Howard can kind of figure it out, they have something going on there. Uh, Tariq Cohen is, is a great returner. I like him a lot. He's a good dual threat out of the backfield, passing and running. Um, the problem is, is that with the Khalil Mack trade, they don't have a first or second round pick this year, so they're starting from they're, they're starting from the third round, and I think there are players that'll be that, that that they'll be able to get. I think losing Adrian Amos, they can get a guy like Darnell Savage from Maryland, who I think is a solid pickup. The question is again, it's going to be the, it's going to be the draft, and and then it's going to be how can the offense kind of retake what they had? Because I, I think they could do it. I think they'll vie for a wild card spot. It, in the, in, in the NFC, but it's going to really take a little more work than, the, than what we think. Next up, the Cleveland Browns. Oh, this is this is everyone. The, the Cleveland Browns are officially the Chicago Cubs. Hold on. Of the NFL. Hold on. Hold on. Let's let's take a backseat to this. The lovable losers. Hold on, but but let's slow down. They haven't won anything yet. They added Odell Beckham. Actually, no. They won seven games, okay. which is a vast improvement from zero. All right. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. They added Odell. It's huge. They got rid of Kevin Zeitler. That's a big loss on the, on the offensive line. Their defense finished third in the NFL. They're elite. There's no doubt about it. Losing to Pearl Peppers? So what? You had Demarius Randall. The problem is that Freddie Kitchens was the offensive coordinator for eight games and before that, didn't have a job. I don't think Freddie Kitchens is going to be able to make this team so great. I don't care if you have Baker Mayfield, Odell, you have Jarvis Landry, you have possibly the best, the best running back core. I think they're, I think they're incredible. You have Kareem Hunt. Granted, he's out, he's out for eight games. Nick Chubb is a fine replacement. You have Duke Johnson catching balls out of the backfield. In my opinion, they have the best young tight end in football with David Ajoku. But just because of that, it doesn't like. They 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 are the Jets. They still have an ownership problem because I don't think John Dorsey is still anything incredible because he's been he's been here for all of it. So cool, you won seven games, but you also had a, had three back to back to back horrible seasons. And then Freddie Kitchens, I just I don't see it. I think they would have been a lot better off had they kept part of their staff from last year, like Greg Williams and Todd Haley, but obviously it all kind of fell apart. So I think that there are three teams in the AFC North that are really going to vie for that number one spot. Pittsburgh is, op- is the obvious one. Okay. Pittsburgh, com- they compete every single year. They have a great quarterback. They, had, they, they just lost their two biggest pieces on offense, but that's okay. They're going to make up for it. James Conner, he's a terrific running back. He Fantastic. Led the, he led the league in rushing last year, so that's not a problem. And Juju Smith-Suster is a generational talent at wide receiver, potentially. And then you have... Baltimore Ravens, is Lamar Jackson going to take take this team to the next level? They lost a lot of key pieces on defense, but and then and now you have the upstart Cleveland Browns. Are they a team that can compete for this AFC North title and possibly clinch that one or two seed in the AFC? I'm not saying that they will, but do they have that level because now they have the two two they have two of the top 10 receivers in the league mm-hmm. and they also have a young Great quarterback in Baker Mayfield. They have a generational running back in uh, t- and no, uh, not uh, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt, although he's suspended, but he's going to come back and he's going to tear up the last half of the season. We'll see. And you have an offensive-minded coach in 
whoever they just Freddie um, Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. Oh. Okay, so God. I think that everyone's bashing the Browns. Oh, they didn't do enough. You know, Odell's not going to take this team to the next level. But when Randy Moss went from Oakland to New England, they went undefeated. All right, but Randy Moss had Tom Brady. And You're Baker Mayfield is a good... Qu- he's not Tom Brady level yet. He's not Ben Roethlisberger yet. But I think he's better than Lamar Jackson. And I think that he can take at, at least a second place oh, in, in, in the AFC North. They were a kicker away last year from winning that division. You remember that they tied the Steelers in week one. Their kicker, uh, Zach Gonzalez, or Zane Gonzalez, he lost them two two games in a row. So I think that he is that the kicker that they're they're a kicker away from winning that division. But notice this: they got rid of their whole, essentially their whole entire coaching staff, even after winning three games. So they could have had five wins in the Hugh Jackson uh, repertoire, but then they ended up cutting him. Greg Will- Greg Williams left for the Jets, and Todd Haley is I, I don't know if he's employed, but I think going back to what you were saying about uh, who is going to win the AFC North. I think the Browns are going to vie for a wild card spot. I think they're going to be fighting. I don't think the Ravens are going to be uh, this great team. And actually, we're going to get into them next. I will hang on before we do. Go ahead. I do not make a lot of predictions. Okay. Because I I hate to jinx my favorite teams. Okay. But I am about to make a prediction. Oh, God. And all of Cleveland is going to jump up and say, I'm right there with you. And the rest of the world is going to, you know... Pretty much take a dartboard, stick my face on it, and start throwing darts at it. You ready for this? They're gonna. Oh, all right. Uh, the all Cleveland right. Browns are going to be playing in the AFC Championship game this upcoming season. Anyways, provided that there are no injuries. Anyways, I'm gonna give the Browns a B plus. Let's get right back into their rival in the AFC North, Minus. the Ravens. I'm gonna give them a C. They they're not quite. They can get a B minus if they get a good enough draft class. But Earl Thomas isn't tra- isn't changing losses to wins. I don't trust Lamar Jackson yet. Mark Ingram's a big plus, but what system is this team going to run with when they have Willie Snead as their number one receiver? I don't really know. I'm going to give them a C. I agree. Uh, lastly, I have the Oakland Raiders, who obviously Antonio Brown is now here to stay. I think the Steelers kind of got fleeced, in my opinion. Uh, and the reason why I'm going to give the Raiders a C plus is even though they added Antonio Brown, they they're the kind of team that they they overpaid too much. Trent Brown. Uh, in, in in New England when he was there, was a great, great, great asset. But I think what a lot of people start to forget is like, for example, um, when Nick Foles was, was on the Eagles, they had Mike DiFilippo, who was one of the best uh, offensive-minded quarterback coaches. The Pats have easily the best offensive line coach in the history of football in Dante Scarnecchia, and everyone forgets that he even exists. So Dante Scarnecchia, I'm sorry to cut you off here. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Think about players who have left the Pats and have made money. And actually, ESPN wrote an article about it called the Skarnakia Effect. Guys like Joe Andruzzi, Brandon Gorin, Donald Thomas, Nate Solder, and now Trent Brown. Trent Brown got got incredibly overpaid, and there's other guys that, that are going to back this up. Nate Solder was a first-round pick in 09. He then signed a four-year, four-year $62 million deal with the Giants. I, I, I'm a Giants fan. I've watched him. He did not do nearly what he did in New England for the last 10 years. Donald Thomas, he signed 11 days after he was released by the Lions in 2011. He landed a four-year deal, four-year, $14 million deal with the Colts two years after leaving the Pats. He retired in two years because he just couldn't handle it. Brandon Gorin, signed with the Pats practice squad in 02, was an elite two-time pro bowler, traded to the Cardinals for a sixth-round pick in 06, and just like Donald Thomas, was out the door in two years with the Browns. So everyone is bashing on the Oakland Raiders for getting rid of... Cleo Mack and John Gruden has not been the best coach, but let me just, this is a fact right here, let me just spit you everything that John Gruden has done for the Raiders thus far. He has traded away Cleo Mack, Amari Cooper, a 2019 third rounder, a 2019 fifth rounder, a 2020 second rounder, and a 2026 rounder. He has gotten back Antonio Brown, two first rounders for this year, a first rounder for next year, mm-hmm. a 2020 second rounder, and a 2025th rounder. He has traded for three first round draft picks in the next two years, and that doesn't even include where they finish on the season. They are picking three times in the first in the first round this year, provided they don't trade those away for for more pieces. So this actually uh, segues well into the reason why I gave the Raiders a C plus. So uh, coming in, coming into coming into free agency, and uh, they said 
Derek Carr is, is on the block. He's available. Someone take him. Marshawn Lynch left. They have Doug Martin at running back. Nothing nothing really spectacular there. But like you said, three first-round picks. The I hate John Gruden with all my heart. Uh, in my opinion, they this team could have an A. This is I'm, I'm going to consider the C-plus like a midterm. they got to go to the Learning Commons, figure it out, and they could possibly get an A-minus by the end of the year if they have a killer draft class. The problem is, is that you can't whiff in the first round. If you whiff in the first round, you're done. They, John Gruden isn't a great coach. I give him a C plus. The culture there is a mess. We'll see what happens. we got to take a short break, but when we come back, we are going to be talking about Major League Baseball. Stick around. Live from Quinnipiac University, this is WQAQ 98.1 Hamden, bringing you the best music, sports, and news talk the New Haven County has to offer. WQAQ. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. You're listening to 98.1, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Smallpox Salon in Handen specializes in men's and women's haircuts, color, extensions, and styling for all occasions. And it's only a short drive from the Quinnipiac campus. Small Talk Salon is located on Whitney Avenue, right off the Route 40 connector in the Mount Carmel Plaza. Hours and appointments are available at 203-821-7584 or online at smalltalksalon.com. Again, that's 203-821-7584 or online at smalltalksalon.com. Welcome back to the Mac and Main Show here on 98.1 WQAQ, also streaming on WQAQ.com. The Bruce Springsteen signals that we are about to talk about some baseball. So, Steve, what do we have? Because the Mariners and the A's open up on Thursday in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And, I I mean, like, ever since Manny Machado fell to his knees on the Chris Sale slider <laughs> to end the World Series, I have been waiting for this week to come around. You are, like, overly romantic about the Red Sox, and, and like, at times I love it, but, like, at times it's just, ugh. Anyways. Well, you know, you root for the Mets. That's your own problem. All right, you know what? My grandpa told me, so my grandpa was a Dodgers fan. They ended up moving out of Brooklyn, and then he became a Red Sox fan and loved Ted Williams and Carl Giuscrimsky, and then he told me that you're going to be a Mets fan because I hate the Yankees, but they'll always break your heart, just like in, just like in Fever Pitch. When uh, Jimmy Fallon's uncle told him that in the movie, I'm still, but I'm gonna like reminisce. Anyways, so the Mariners and A's are in Tokyo on Thursday. The rest of the MLB will start up the next following Thursday with games uh, scaling from Washington versus New York, which hopefully I'll be at. We'll see. Uh, but let's let's break it down here. Ichiro is back in Japan. He signed a one-year deal with the Mariners. I don't I don't even know if he's gonna play more than a month. Like, let's be honest. I think the Mariners um, are going to force him to retire after, like, three or four games. Honestly, it might, because at this point, he's, he's taking up a roster spot. Uh, and Kyle Lewis is, like, waiting there, like, like dude, bring me up. But um, the Mariners in the A's beginning of the year is an interesting case, because I remember uh, my, my junior year when the Dodgers played the Diamondbacks in Australia, and they, and they started everything off. And the big question at that point was Pat Corbin was coming up, Clayton Kershaw was starting it. But everyone, but like, everyone was like, why are we playing in Australia? But the Mariners and the A's playing in Tokyo is, is interesting because these two teams are two teams that we need to look at uh, in a larger picture and see what their what their offseason was like because the Mariners got rid of everybody. They 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 literally tossed everyone out the door. King Felix is gone. Cano is gone. Uh, Edwin Diaz is in New York. There's so many question marks, but I'm curious to what you think about the Mariners as a team going into the season. So the Mariners are... They're right now. They're 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 falling. They're not they're not going up. They're falling. And their last major trade ship that they are holding on to is D Gordon. And D Gordon, he was an MVP candidate a couple years ago with the Marlins, and he kind of took a dive down when he went to the American League and played for the Mariners. That's not anything that I'm can overly concerned about. Team when players go to new teams, generally their first year is not superb, unless your name is Max Scherzer or J D Martinez, but. 
when D Gordon, he's 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 the leader of that team. King Felix, his meltdown over not being in the rotation anymore, kind of showed me that he's not really the guy that we all thought he was, mm-hmm. and he's not there to step up and lead this team to a postseason berth. I mean, we're talking to, we're talking about the Seattle Mariners, a team that has not been in the postseason since 2001, mm-hmm. since 9/11. That think about that. It has been a long time. They have the longest postseason drought in sports as of right now. So. Do I think that this team is is ready to contend? No, I do not. Ichiro is the only reason why you want to buy a ticket and go watch a Mariners game, and that's only if he continues to play for the next couple of months. So the Mariners as a team, they got rid of their ace in James Paxton. They got rid of their star second baseman, Robinson Cano. They tried to bring in a guy like Edwin Encarnacion and spruce up the lineup a little bit, but I really don't think that this team is anything special. I'm looking at them now, and it's actually kind of interesting. So, uh, Mitch Haniger is probably the leader of the offense outside of Edward, outside of Edward Encarnacion is going to slot in, slot in at the DH. D Gordon's in the bat top of the order with Malik Smith. Domingo Santana is going to round out the middle of the order. Jay Bruce is going to fit somewhere in there. I forgot he the, signed there. Follow, well, he got traded with the uh, with the Edwin Diaz trade. That's right. Uh, Tim Beckham's playing third base, and Ryan Healy, who's something like a, who's something like a Viking, is going to be playing first base with Dan Vogelbach. I think the team's interesting because there's a lot of different pieces that's going on because they have, they have a pretty good uh, minor league cast. They traded away James Paxton, they got Justice Sheffield. They traded away uh, they traded away Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, and they got Jared Kalenic and Justin Dunn, two guys from the Mets that are going to be on the rise, as well as as well as reliever Anthony Swarzak. They signed Hunter Strickland. Uh, the big thing is that the pitching staff really has to. They really need to, to do everything. Marco Gonzalez is coming up as a great player. Uh, coming over from Asia, they got Yusei K- uh, Kikuchi, I think, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it, 27-year-old lefty, uh, he was a, he was a phenom, Mike Leak is shaky, and Wade LeBlanc is kind of rolling out the, uh, I'm like a reliever turned starter, turned reliever turned starter again, um, what they have is something really interesting, and I don't know how it's going to do. I think they'll finish third in the West, but that's I like, honestly I think they're going to be four. I, th- I think the other problem is is that Kyle Seager is going to be out to like July, and Kyle Seager is the only big like lifeblood on this team who's been there through all of this. So, do you do you see King Felix surviving past July thirty first? No, I think King Felix is a great player. I think he. Is somebody who's he he he's he's what David Wright was to the Mets when he got hurt. He's a locker room presence. He'll be there because he's been through the good times, been through the bad times. He's been with players like Adrian Beltre. He's been with, he's been with guys like Cliff Lee, Ken Griffey. Like he's seen it all. I think he won't last. I think he'll end up being being a a, uh, a decent bullpen arm. Mm-hmm. But I I think that's really all, all he is. So really quickly here before we have to break again and bring in Eric, uh, the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're my they're my team, you know. I watch these guys grow up, and I watch them go into the major leagues, and it's really something special to see them come out of college, play in Vermont, and then go be all stars and ho- hopefully Hall of Famers one day. So, I'm looking at the A's, and I'm looking at their 97 wins last season, and I'm thinking that was a gift because we all we all penciled in Shohei Otani and the Angels to win that division or maybe come in second, and they didn't even do that. So the A's coming in and winning 97 games is huge. I think that they have the ability to do that again. They have the same group of guys that came back. They added some to their pitching staff. Chris Davis, he could lead the league in home runs again. Uh, Potentially, we could see an MVP candidate in Matt Chapman. They also have great pitchers like Blake Trinan, Luis Mm -hmm. Trevino. I mean, this team... Is can be special. They can have this miracle run. They're the only team that you can count on a miracle happening every year. The the A's are what the Tampa Bay Rays were like uh, for the for for the for, foreseeable past. There were teams that like like I said with the Rays, and I always bring up with the Rays. Everyone bats the same average. Everyone hits the same home runs. Everyone hits the same RBIs, and they always manage to do decent. And apparently this and as we know this past year they won ninety games. The A's pulled out pulled out ninety seven wins literally. Out of their caps, uh, the pitching staff is—they're maybe borderline with like the Colorado Rockies is decent. Mike Fires, Marco Estrada, Brandon, and Frankie Montas. But, won, good, but good, he good won their games because any pitcher can go to Oakland and win games because their ballpark is so big. They yeah. have so, so much foul territory. Well, I think their offense is is the real story because when you have guys like Matt Chapman who he can hit the ball 400 feet, 
uh, Matt Olson can hit it 500 feet. Stephen Piscotty will hit it all over the, all over the ballpark. And then Chris Davis is probably the most underrated player in baseball. He gets literally no love because he's in the middle of Oakland. Their bullpen is great. Trying and Trevino. They added uh, Jerry Blevins and Liam Hendricks and, uh, and Ashley Fernando Rodney and, and Joaquin Soria. Wow. They have the, they have the pieces to possibly pull it out, but I still think the Astros are going to take this take this one. Bryce Harper's MVP year in 2015, I think Sports Illustrated actually had the Nationals beating the A's in the World Series. And I was like, holy crap, the, the A's are going to go to the World Series? So before we break, Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez are the only free agents that are worth anything on the board. Mm-hmm. Craig Kimbrell has a draft pick assigned to his name. So if any team that is not the Boston Red Sox signs Craig Kimbrell, they have to forfeit their first-round draft pick if he is signed before the Major League Draft. So years back, in 2014, the Red Sox tagged Stephen Drew, and they said, if any, and basically it means if anybody signs Stephen Drew, they forfeit the first-rounder except for the Red Sox. He ended up signing after the draft, Mm -hmm. and no team forfeited their first-rounder. Do we potentially see Kimbrell sitting out until after June? There's going to be a, there's going to be a team that needs to take Craig Kimbrell. Like there, there are so many bullpens that need this this all star. I mean, can you get rid of a first round pick? I think like it, I think a first round pick in a first baseball, round pick in baseball is not worth nearly as much as it is in football it, or basketball. It, it isn't unless you're going to take someone who's coming out of college and is a proven athlete. I think that that, that that's the only real place I think Craig Kimbrell could sit. Uh, I really don't know though. I don't know why teams haven't taken Gio Gonzalez yet. I think the Mets should have hopped on him in a heartbeat with Jason Vargas. Yuck. Dallas Keuchel is going to be. The, the Dallas Keuchel is probably going to sign like a two-year, like eighteen million million dollar deal. I don't even think he's worth that much. I, I I agree, but then again, Jason Hayward made one hundred eighty million dollars, and he is absolutely awful. We're going to take a break. Next up, we're going to talk the NBA and March Madness with Eric Kerr. Stay tuned. Okay, Simon. What are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. And what do people normally wear? Clothes. Exactly. So now Mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Clothes keep us warm, they look good, and if we go out without them, the neighbors will talk. So it's important to know how to get dressed. Here's how it's done. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole, or you have to start all over. If you're wearing a tie, it goes over, round, round, through, and pull tight. Tuck your shirt into your pants and zip up your flap. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with bunny ears. I love bunnies. Good to know. Now remember, spots don't go with stripes, socks don't go with sandals, and if you've tucked in your shirt, wear a belt. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. Not a stop, watch, don't ever stop. This a flow that got the block hot, got super hot. Ay. Give me my respect, give me my respect. I just took it left like on ambidex. I moved through London with the Euro steps. Got a sneaker deal and I ain't break a sweat. Catch me cause I'm gone, out of them gone. I go from 6 to 23 like I'm LeBron. Serving up a pack, serving up a pack. Pulling gimmicks cause they scared to rap. Funny how they shook, shook. Pulling back the curtain by myself. Take a look. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ. So, yesterday was Selection Sunday in the world of college hoops. With the tournament four days away, brackets needing to be filled out. I filled out mine during my 3 o'clock class. Sorry, Professor McKeon. We're joined in, in the studio with our college hoops expert, Eric Kerr. To help break down everything you need to know about March Madness. And, 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 and. Oh, um, so one of the big things that uh, I was feeling my St. Patrick's Day mood, and uh, I made a bet with Jack yesterday. Oh, and, okay. Oh, I am, like, so happy so happy with this. So me and Jack are, have a little bet. We're going to fill out both men's and women's brackets. Okay. Whoever has the most picks right wins. But based on the, based on the, the discrepancy between the winner and loser's picks... Is going to determine the punishment slash, uh, like winning uh, fee. Bet. Fee. 
So for one to five, Jack or myself will pay. We'll, we'll pay the other ten dollars as a little fee. Uh-huh. For five to ten, these are wrong. Like five to ten games that are wrong. Yeah. So for five to ten games that, that are wrong, the loser is going to bake the winner a cake or cookies, but the loser cannot have any of it. So it's going to be straight up. <laughs> and then for ten or more, the loser is going to read a children's book picked by the winner and write a report about the book, <laughs> raving it, raving it, or or bashing it. And it will then it will then be posted on our Twitter for the viewers to enjoy and vote on it. You should you should add to that and have them read the book in public in front of other people. Uh, oh yo, have you on the quad? Just like like out in front of the library stands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little storytelling time. Oh my god, this is gonna be incredible. But so yeah, so that's the bet, Jack. Good luck. Thank we're, you. We're gonna post our brackets uh, in the coming days. I have mine filled out. It's a surprise. Mine, for mine's a secret because I don't I don't I don't post predictions. Yeah, because you know Jack's so superstitious. But anyway, <laughs> let's get right let's get right into March Madness. So let's start yeah. out with the South Regional. So there's so many conference winners in this uh, in this bracket. Uh, so Cincinnati, Oregon, Nova, St. Mary's, who's my sleeper, Old Dominion, etc. Teams like UVA and Tennessee will they be able to get past? Some of these teams, like I think Cincinnati is a sleeper, so is St. Mary's. Uh, Villanova, if they can get past St. Mary's, will be an interesting bet. Well, what do you think? Yeah, well, I'm definitely with you. There are definitely a lot of good conference uh, tournament winners in the side of the bracket. However, in terms of the teams that have the, the bigger troubles with this, I think it's going to be uh, Tennessee rather than Virginia. Because Absolutely. Tennessee, if you kind of look at the bracket on the south side especially, they go through a lot more of those conference winners in comparison to Virginia. Whereas if Oregon, Oregon makes it through. They get past Kansas State, per se. That's the only one they'd have to deal with, uh, according to that side of the bracket. Whereas you look at the bottom with Tennessee, you know, you have Cincinnati. Second round, they get past Colgate. And then right after that, either St. Mary's or Villanova, uh, they could go back get past Purdue. So those are very tough, challenging teams that Tennessee will have to deal with. And it's part of the reason why many people, including myself, don't have them going too far because they are a very talented two-seed. You know, they have a lot of good talent. Admiral Schofield, great player for them. Uh, but I just think that Tennessee has a very challenging portion to go through as a two seed. That we'll, we'll see if they can try to like work their way through. My personally, my favorite, the real threat here in this bracket is Kansas State, and mainly for Virginia because Virginia will have to play them first if Kansas State can get that far. But for both teams, um, you know, Kansas State is a very experienced team. Uh, they have great defense. Five of their seniors are their leading scorers, and it's pretty much their same cast that was from that when they made that run in the tournament last year. Got that at least a Sweet 16, I believe. Um, uh, senior senior forward Dean Wade is is a six eight forward. He's currently injured right now. Uh, he's their kind of their big presence down low. Gets the rebounds for him. Gets some points and shoots a very high percentage, fifty percent from the field. Uh, his current status isn't cleared, but a evaluation will be made by tomorrow. So if he can come back, that'll really just help Kansas State get through and make a big run to this tournament. I, personally, I have them as one of my final fours. Okay. I don't know what you guys think, but so I I so I have Virginia going all the way. Okay, um, they were ranked number two in uh, offensive efficiency, ranked fifth in defensive efficiency. They are the head of just about every single category because yeah. uh, the defenses ranked one through three is like Michigan, Texas Tech, and I think Houston. Uh, so, so they're falling right behind. Everyone's like, "Oh, UMBC upset." Virginia yeah, you're, last not, year. you're not afraid of that? No. Uh, okay. No, forget that because Michigan State lost lost in Middle Tennessee and then they came back swinging next year. So it's all an anomaly. Actually, I had Wisconsin over K State, but I'm going to take you up on that one. My last question about the South. So St. Mary's is my uh, my big upset alert. Mm. The problem I have them is, winning too. Yeah. The problem is, is that I have St. Mary's beating Villanova, but can they get past Purdue? That's a good question. Um, well, Purdue, you know, As- they assuming they beat Old Dominion. Assuming they beat Old Dominion, Purdue is a very talented team. You know, they have Carson Edwards. He's the senior guy in the team. Very talented. He's been on the team for four years now. He's a senior. Uh, knows how to score the basket, but they pretty much just rely on their offense on him. St. Mary's, if they're on that day like they were against Gonzaga, they can take advantage of that. Uh, Justin Hunter, I believe his name is. He's their big man. Very talented down low. Scoring presence that will definitely help them attack the paint well against that Purdue defense. Also, some really solid shooters and just uh, great defense surrounding them as well. So that will give Purdue and Carson Edwards some fits if they play that right. So, yeah, I certainly think St. Mary's can definitely get past that Purdue team. I have them going as far as the Sweet 16 before losing Cincinnati. So I think St. Mary's is definitely a big threat. Oh, so, so you think so? You think the Vols aren't going to get past the round of, the round of thirty-two? I don't think so. Ooh. That is that's a big that's a, hot that's take. A big take. That's a hot take. You know why? Because Cincinnati, they're a really good AAC team. Uh, they won that. They won the conference championship against Houston, which is a very big, athletic, uh, competitive team. And I think that since Tennessee, you know, they kind of struggled coming out 
they got beat by Auburn in the SEC championship game. Creds Auburn, though. Auburn's a very good team. Mm-hmm. But I just think that with Cincinnati's athleticism, they were going to give Tennessee a big game, and Tennessee's going to come off kind of sluggish because, you know, they're going against a 15 seed, so they're going to be kind of taking this one next one a little bit easy. And then Cincinnati's going to have a tough game against Iowa. Iowa's a good team. So they're going to have some good competition before the Tennessee game, mm-hmm. kind of warm themselves up, pep themselves up for it. So I think Cincinnati will give Tennessee a run for money. I think they could make a deep run this tournament. Wow, that, I, like, I like that take. That's a big take. That, but you know how detailed that was? That was incredible. That, that made me almost want to change my bracket right there. So <laughs> but I stick, I stick with my gut and go with who has the cooler logo. So yeah, you know, stick with your gut because we can't all have the same brackets at the end of the day. We're all trying to win the million-dollar grand prize. So. so you're telling me that, that, that K-State's going to beat Virginia and... Who, who's in your uh, Who's in your Elite Eight in, uh, in Elite the South? Eight for the South, Kansas State and Cincinnati. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Interesting enough. We're gonna go on to the West, who I think is the region of death. Mm. This is incredible. Huge region right here. So the Zags got beaten by St. Mary's because St. Mary's just dominated relatively. Uh, the Zags had an off day. Cuse, in my opinion, is probably the most dangerous team. No matter what year it is, they're always gonna go far. Marquette Tot coming in, but John Morant and Murray State's going to be interesting. And then Buffalo and Nevada are my two sleepers. Do you think, who do you think is going to come out on top in the West? Uh, well, I'm Gonzaga. a huge Gonzaga guy, so yeah, I, yeah, I got to go with Gonzaga. Oh, man. And uh, here's why. So, you know, obviously, what, uh, all credit to St. Mary's, they played a great game. Uh, offense was good. Defense, they really did a good job of keeping Gonzaga uh, out of the paint, forcing them to take a lot more threes than they would have liked. Now, give it take, Gonzaga is a very good three-point team, and they have one of the best offenses in the nation, but they just happen to be off that day. And you know what happens to a team? Like, you know, you're going to have, as a team, you're going to have, like, your really good spurts, which is what Gonzaga showed in their conference the, almost the whole entire season up to that championship game. But that one time, you're going to, or a couple times, you're going to have an off day. And I think, in my opinion, Gonzaga had the best time. You know, it's a championship game. You want to play good, but if you don't, that's really going to sting. And if you use that energy right, that's going to motivate you, give you the right attitude to come out on top and win, make a deep run in this tournament. Here's, you know? what, here's what I have on Gonzaga. So Gonzaga has been one of the better teams in the nation. They had that amazing 22-game win streak. They were very hot in the regular season. And then, of course, you know, they, did, they, had, they, they were upset by St. Mary's. Just like in football or even in any other sport that, that every single win counts, I feel like that's definitely the case in NCAA basketball, you don't... You don't make the same mistakes two games in a row, mm-hmm. and I think Gonzaga maybe underestimated their opponent a little bit. Maybe said, "Hey, we can, you know, we can relax. We we already are guaranteed a one or two spot in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so we can, you know, kind of chill on it." And then they underestimated their opponent in the in their in their championship game, and they snapped their win streak. I don't think they're going to make the same mistake twice. Yeah, just to add on to that, their previous two meetings, uh, the first time they met, Gonzaga beat St. Mary's by a whopping ninety-four. To 46, the first time they played. 94 to 46. That's almost a 50 point swing right there. Second time, you know, 69 to 55. That was about the same margin as St. Mary's beat Gonzaga uh, in the championship game. So, and then also just to come up, combat that, uh, Gonzaga, they pretty much have the same team as last year. You remember names like Rui Hachimura, Zach Norvell Jr., uh, Killian Tilly, Zach per- uh, John Perkins. Those guys are all still there. So they have the athleticism, they have the scoring, they have the depth to just continue to make a big run. And I know they have a really competitive side. We'll get into that later with all the other teams. But I think it's is a huge threat Vermont, to win. Vermont to beat Florida State, by the way. Oh, my God. Vermont? Yeah, dude, number 13 Hot Vermont eight. is going to upset number four that, Florida State. That's solely because you're from the state of Vermont. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a big UVM guy. All right, that was like that, that was like five years ago when Stony Brook University played Kentucky, and everyone there was like, oh, my God, they're in Kentucky. And then they got like whomped by like 40. UMBC beat Vermont last year in the in the EC in, in that championship and game, UMBC and then they went and then they went on to beat Virginia. So All right, but look. they can beat Virginia. Vermont can beat Florida. All right, if you say one more thing about Vermont, I'm leaving the cast. Anyways, so I have a few <laughs> Vermont's a great state. I have a few matchups that, that I want to go go over quick. Yeah, M- Marquette and Murray State. They're playing up the road in Hartford. Is John Morant going to be able to topple? Uh, who is it? Marcus Howard? I think it is. Yeah, yeah, Marcus, Marcus Howard. Howard. Yes, I definitely think so. I mean, it's going to be a great matchup. You have two of the best guards in the nation going at each other, but I believe John Morant is just more athletic. He's the better player in that matchup. He's going to. Do whatever it takes to lock down Marcus Howard and shut him down from that three-point shot. Mark, uh, John Morant is projected right now to be a top-three pick in the, NF, in, the, in the NBA lottery. Marcus Howard is late first round. You know, he's he's quick. Marcus Howard will give him that. 
but he's 5'11". John Morant is 6'2", and long wingspan. So he'll use that to really lock down Marcus Howard, but also he'll use his scoring ability to be able to attack him in multiple ways. Not only is he a strong slasher of the rim, but he can shoot well. Uh, he's got great vision, great passing, and he just makes everyone around him better. So in that matchup, I just think Murray State has that one. Uh, I think they're just a little bit of a better team compared to Marquette. It's going to be a great game, but I just think that Murray State will take that matchup personally. I think they could actually make a deep run in that side of the bracket, too. Really? Yeah. So, so you, you think Murray State could possibly beat... Oh, so I have Syracuse beating the Dag in the second round because I'm crazy okay. and Jim Beheim is still sick. So And, and I have uh, Marquette beating Murray State literally by the narrowest of margins. But I have Florida State and Syracuse in, in the Sweet 16. Two ACC matchups. Is that see, wild? Like, is that see, no, I don't think it's wild, but I, I would have honestly had Syracuse going farther, like you were, like you were saying, because mm-hmm. like they always do well in the, in the tournament, but they just happen to get a really bad spot. Like, I mean, seriously, if, if Gonzaga's off that day, like they were in St. Mary's, then Syracuse can definitely beat them with that nope. intense zone defense they play every year, and nobody knows how to solve in the first meeting except for ACC teams. But I just think that Gonzaga is just the better team if they can shoot well that day and play that game right. They will beat Syracuse, and I think that Murray State can even beat Florida State as well. I know Florida State is a really big athletic team. They'll give a lot of teams fits. Even Gonzaga, Florida State makes it that far. Mm-hmm. I think they give Gonzaga a run for their money, but I just think that the hype train of John Morant is going to push him through for at least a couple more games and try to make I, that glorified 12-seed run. I, d- I definitely feel like if there's one if there's one upset that could come out of that Western bracket, I feel like it is Florida State coming up over Gonzaga because, like you said, they're a very physical basketball team. They can get in the paint. They can grab the rebounds. And Gonzaga's a bunch of small three-point shooters. So I feel like if there is an upset that's going to come out of the West, I definitely see it being Florida State. With that being said, I do have them losing to Marquette in the second round of my bracket. I actually have two other upsets going to the bottom side of the bracket. So Buffalo is going to beat, I think St. John's is going to win the play-in. Buffalo's going to handily beat them, and then they're going to play Texas Tech, who's ranked second in the country in defense. But I think they're like 35th in, uh, in adjusted overall offensive efficiency. Buffalo and Nevada. If Buffalo advances, they'll probably play Tech. If Nevada beats Florida, which I think they will, they'll play Michigan. Do you think there's a chance of seeing Buffalo versus Nevada in the Sweet 16? I actually definitely believe in that. I'm all with you on that. I actually have them in my bracket, Buffalo and Nevada in a Sweet 16 game. I mean, it's oh, a really man. hot take, but Buffalo, you know, they're a really good mid-major team. They've shown they can play with some of the better teams out there. They beat Syracuse in the regular season. Bunch of good quality wins. Uh, I and change that. Yeah, and <laughs> I had, I had, I had, your I had Buffalo losing to ASU in the first round. Are you serious? Come on, yeah. man. Really? You think ASU is going to win that St. John's? I just, I just, I just, I'm with you on that though. I think I don't think St. John's should have gone in the tournament. I, no, personally. honestly, I really, I, I really think it's just think because, so. because of that. they're still in the play-in round, right? Right. Yeah. I think a- ASU should win that play-in game because I think St. John's they are only getting that spot because they had a 12 and 0 out of conference record. But yep. who do they play? Boom. Who do they play? I mean, I I honestly can't tell you, but the Big East, in my <laughs> exactly. opinion, is one big cluster of you're either really good or you're really bad. And never coming, it was like Shamori Ponds is going to bring them all the way. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Nova still, I, I think Nova only lost one game in conference. Almost positive. But so well, Nova's I, lost a couple, but they are a very good Big East team. So, so I have I have Buffalo beating Tech, but but I have Michigan beating Nevada. I I actually have Michigan beating Florida State in the Elite Eight and going to the Final Four, losing to Duke. Speaking of Duke, let's go over to the East. Duke, obviously the consensus number one overall favorite. Uh, other teams that are notable, I think Belmont is gonna beat, the, is gonna win the playing game against Temple, beat Maryland, and possibly beat LSU. I have that. I, I have, have that, that too. too. I mean, if Belmont can come out of that that scrap with Temple, I think they can definitely beat. They can beat like Maryland, Maryland yeah. LSU. Those teams are not that strong mm-hmm. for the power conferences. They can really look to take advantage of that. You know, I, I have looked through a little bit of research here. Dylan Windler, their senior leader, he averages a double double in in the Ohio Valley Conference, which is pretty good numbers, and, I, and that's actually the regular season, too, so you can count the whole uh, amount of games they played. Yeah. He's a solid, solid big man. Uh, he stretched the floor, get out there, and shoot some threes there, too. So he's a very solid player for uh, this Belmont team. That, and also, they have just great talent surrounding him, too, uh, that I think they'll definitely look to take them to a big a big run as an 11 seed in that, that bracket. I think that's a great opportunity for Belmont to take, it, to take advantage of, and I think they certainly will. So I think Duke might go to the final. Uh, I just think they're, they're... No, yeah, no doubt. They're, they're just so overpowering, but there's three matchups in particular that I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, let's say Mississippi State beats Liberty, which actually people are saying Liberty might, might be on upset alert. We don't Liberty really know. is on a big mm-hmm. amount of upset alerts. Mm-hmm. I personally have Mississippi State winning. I, I think they have the, the better... 
they have the more like a better variety of team, great defense overall, and they actually shoot pretty well from the arc and cause a lot of turnovers, so that'll help them win these games. With that being said, in the round of 32, I have Vatek beating St. Louis handedly. Who wins that game, Mississippi State or Virginia Tech? It's a good game. Uh, in my bracket, I believe, yeah, I have Mississippi State winning Ooh. that one uh, because I think, like I said, you know, Virginia Tech, great three-point shooting team, but I think if Mississippi State can cause that big turnover at the end of the game that they're capable of doing, they can come out and win that game. Last last matchup, Louisville and Michigan State in the second round, assuming Louisville can beat Minnesota. I think Louisville might be able to upset Michigan State. I think Michigan State got a little screwed over. Uh, I think they I think they should be in the bracket of death replacing uh, Michigan, but that's just me. What do you think about that? Yeah, so just to kind of talk about the Michigan State-Michigan situation, I do agree with you. I think Michigan State uh, should have been placed in that spot where Michigan is. They beat Michigan three times that whole season, mm-hmm. three times in a row. That's a pretty impressive resume, but the only reason why I think they're not in that spot is I think the committee looked at the strength of schedule that Michigan had compared to Michigan State and gave Michigan that spot over them for a two-seed because Michigan, they had them they had them play teams like UNC, which they beat by 16, and Nova, which is much a much harder schedule compared to Michigan State, and that was the reason they were talking about why Michigan State didn't get that spot over Michigan. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, every team still has to play six games to win to make it a yeah. championship. So regardless of where you get put, you're still a two seed. Both teams are still a two seed. You got to come out. You got to play hard. and You got to win. So do you think Michigan State is gonna can make a run to the to the Elite Eight against Duke? Yes, I think Duke will beat them because Duke is a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. But I think Michigan State is the the pieces and the power to move on and get to that Elite Eight. All right. Finally, the Midwest UNC the UNC the one seed Kentucky coming in at the two. My big thing here is I think Auburn is going to beat North Carolina in the Sweet 16. Uh, Kansas, they've lost their leader. He's injured. They don't know if he's going to come back yet, but I think Auburn is an incredibly physical team. Uh, Iowa State, Houston is one, Houston's one of those top five defensive teams who's going to c- cause havoc on everybody. Uh, I actually have Houston beating Kentucky in the Sweet 16, so it'll be an Auburn-Houston Elite Eight. My two big things, though, is if UNC c- can get past Auburn, can they also get past Kentucky, or um, can they, or actually, uh, for that matter, can Kentucky be Wofford? I think Wofford's one of those teams that like you should really watch out for. Yeah, see, I actually, that Wofford-Seton Hall game before that is a very, very tough game to pick. You know, Wofford, you have Fletcher McGee, a really, really big shooter for them. He's kind of like the, the J.J. Redick of this year's college basketball. He knows how to get off screens, get open, shoot threes really well. But I think Seton Hall, they have a little bit more of a complete team. I think Miles Powers, Miles Powell is the better one-on-one player in that situation. So I think if he's on, and if Wofford's a little off that game, Seton Hall will, will, will take that matchup, hmm. and I think they'll come out of that one. But if Wofford does come out of that matchup against Seton Hall, then yeah, I think they're definitely a candidate to beat Kentucky. Uh, see, the problem with Seton Hall is they they're too one-sided. You know, I think Miles Powell, if he's like off that game, there's no one else like can really like contribute for the Seton Hall team. Whereas Wofford, if they make it, they have a a whole plethora of guys that can attack you just besides just Fletcher McGee. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll give Kentucky a tougher matchup compared to Seen Hall. Uh, but, yeah, I am definitely agree with you on that. I think Wofford could cause Kentucky fits, but I think ultimately Kentucky will come out and win that matchup. And like you said earlier, Houston will, will move on to that Elite Eight beating Kentucky. And then I have UNC playing Houston, but not after a tough game with UNC and Auburn. I think I like your pick on Auburn. I think Auburn's a very good team. Uh, really depth. They run 1 through 10. Huge uh, depth in that lineup. Jared Harper's a really solid point guard for them. Uh, they have some good big men there as well. So I think that's UNC Houston would be a great Elite Eight matchup for the Midwest. All right, so l- let's just recap for the fans. Your Elite Eight, your Final Four, and your winner. Of course. So we'll start with the Elite Eight uh, for the East region. We're going to have Duke and Michigan State. Okay. For the West, Gonzaga and Nevada. For the Midwest, we have UNC and Houston. And for the South, we have Kansas State and Cincinnati. So now... Getting into the final four of all of those, I have Gonzaga, Duke, Kansas State, and Houston. Duke and Gonzaga going off against each other, and then Kansas State and Houston. And then the ultimate winner, it will be Houston and Gonzaga in the final two. Oh, wow. And I got Gonzaga winning it all. Oh, oh man. boy. Big, big predictions, even though they don't really have any rebounders. Well, I mean, that's a little bit vital. Brandon Clark is a very solid rebounder down there. He knows how to hustle those guys down there. Rui Hachimura, lottery pick, really athletic shot blocker and rebounder for them. So they have some big size down there. Bigger than you think. You know, their big man, he's not the most, like, physical down there down low. He likes to get out behind the arc and shoot yeah. some threes. But I think that team is athletic enough with Clark and 
Hachimura that if Tilly's not doing the job down there on the boards and he's not handing his shots, just get Clark in there, get him some, some big boards, and I think they'll have a good one there. So, you know who I've always wanted to meet? I've always wanted to meet Ed L. Thornton. And she's going to be on From the Bleachers next up with Dan Ball and Matt McAuliffe. I might just hang around and see if I can meet her. <laughs> hey, hey, go for it, man. Hey, Eric Kurt, thank you so much for coming in today, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. I had a great time. Absolutely. We have to get on out of here, but From the Bleachers is up next. We will be on same time next week. We are going to be talking about opening day for baseball. So long.